My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a baby boober. You see? And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode of Burn Notice on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode, or wait until the end where we'll explain them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send you can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind. Of any kind. At burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at Burn Noticed Pod, and that's Burn Noticed with a D. So this episode, Double Book, aired on September 11th, 2008. Never forget. It was written <laughs> by our old friends Craig O'Neill and Jason Tracy, and it was directed by and guest stars Tim Matheson of West Wing fame. I wondered if he directed it as well. All right, that makes sense. He did. Which is why multiple people comment on how good-looking he is. All right. Yeah, and, and, and I did think that that was weird. I mean, he didn't write it, obviously, but, like, I did think that it was weird that people kept mentioning, like, attractive. And he's, I'm like, he's 75. Everyone fucking put it in your pants. His dick is so dry. Like, he hasn't seen cum in 20 years. <laughs> Jesus, we're coming in hot. <laughs> I think the energy that I said that we were going into the podcast recording tonight just hit me. Yes. Well, last week, aka like 10 minutes ago, you were a mess. I was a mess. It was a whole thing. But I'm excited to not be in charge of this episode. All maybe right. maybe, maybe I'll get my steez back. We'll see. All right. Well, the premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is Michael tries to foil a hit that he was hired for by an old spy colleague he thought was dead, which becomes more complicated when he discovers that there is more than one contract out on the target. That's a long sentence. Yeah, that was a long sentence. Um, I wasn't sure how to parse it. Yeah, I mean, neither was Michael. Like, the the episode was as twisty-turny as the single sentence that it took to describe it. God. (laughs) All right. You ready to get into the weeds? Yeah, I, I, I have no uh, top of the episode banter for you this, this you episode. Let's no get, top of the episode let, let, Let's get to the Mary Louise Parker. All right, let's get right to it. All right, so uh, we pick up from last week, and Michael and Sam are hitting up every Bill Johnson in the phone book. Um, Even though Bill Johnson has to be a fake name, right? It has oh. to be a fake name, but it's not. It's just a person. I mean, obviously... Like, there are real people named Bill Johnson. But, like, spies? Yeah. No, um, it's, it's ridiculous. It's so generic. Like, such yeah. a missed opportunity. Exactly. And they've been going through a lot of Bill Johnson's houses and trash and whatever. And they're getting very tired of doing this. Um, but, yeah. And instead of, like, going into the house, they just start digging through the trash. And, like, mm-hmm. one of the I bags mean- explodes. All over Sam. All over Sam, which means, of course, that Michael has to pay for drinks. Actually, no. So 
he mentioned it earlier. So as they're walking up to one particular Bill Johnson's trash cans, um, Sam is complaining and Michael's like, I already bought you a beer after house number eight. And uh, he's like, I'll buy you another one if you go through these tr- this trash. And Sam's like, all right, fine. And then the bag explodes over him and he's like, well, now you owe me two rounds next, Michael. And I love that he's like a child that has to be like bribed at different intervals with beer in order to continue working. Oh, like like you do with children. Yes, exactly. You give them beer to keep them working. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to put like alcohol like on a kid's gums, like just like a little bit to like calm them down? Isn't that a thing? That's a thing that yeah, we used to do when in olden times. <laughs> yeah, when the baby boomers were alive. Yes. Actually, probably. I think it was a baby boomer oh. thing. I mean, like, I think it's it's a thing that's been around for a long time. Because, like, sure. no one had heard of fetal alcohol syndrome. Or, like, you know. I mean, not fetal alcohol syndrome. Yeah, I was like, going to say, technically, babies, fetuses are different. Fetuses are not babies, Chris. This is a pro-choice podcast. Uh, but there's no, there's no term for, like, what happens when a baby gets alcohol poisoning. Because we stopped doing that. Oh, but beer's boy. probably fine. Anyways. Beer's fine to give to a, a <laughs> baby. Go ahead. So they can work harder. Yeah. But yeah, so they go to this Bill Johnson. And um, and a lady comes out with a dog. And they're thinking, does he live with his mom? That doesn't make sense for a spy. That doesn't or make sense assassin. for a spy. Or an assassin. But um, they think even, Michael Even though Michael frequently definitely... hangs out with his own mother. That's very true. So does Sam. <laughs> Maybe it's his buddy's Every, mom. Though, if there's anything we know about spies based on the three spy and spy adjacent people who are main characters, that they like frequently hang out with like his elderly mother. Fee plays poker with a bunch of elderly women. Yeah, it's so true. This is what they do. Um but Michael is pretty sure that this is the Bill Johnson because he's got all kinds of spare spy paraphernalia and his um, trash. I will say, I had a brief moment where I was terrified. What do you mean? Uh, because early on, like, because it feels like they're setting something up and they're like, like, Bill Johnson lives here, but now a lady's coming out. Does he live with his mom? And I thought that this was going to be a horribly transphobic twist. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, not yet. I'm sure that there's some sort of transphobia in the future of this show. It's oh, bound I'm sure to we will get there. But, like, it's not that. Thank um, God. It, it's weirdly kind of nothing. Yeah, it's like, like they've been complaining. They've been wandering around from Bill Johnson to Bill Johnson. But somehow on like lucky number 10, they find him. All right, good. We know where he lives now. Exactly. And he has, it turns out that's just his landlady. I don't know why they needed to play it like it was a twist. Yeah. Well, or like a I, mystery I, or something. I, I think that in their mind, it was like, oh man, yet another dead end. Uh, but then it turns out it's not. Um and it also gives them an opportunity to, like, play around with her later in the episode. But, like, yeah, yeah ultimately, it doesn't get us a ton. It really doesn't. Anyway, so they... Michael goes home, having successfully located, yeah, the probable 
location of Bill Johnson, a man whose name that is really his. <laughs> and, but he gets waylaid on the way into like his apartment by a very handsome man. A very handsome older man. A baby uh, boomer, if you will. A, a baby boomer, if you will. Uh, played by Tim Matheson. His name is Larry Sizemore. Uh, I believe that's his last name. And Wait, is he, it really? It's the worst I, name ever. This fucking I, show in names all of a sudden. Exactly. Hold on. Let me, like, confirm that his name is... Yeah, it's, his name is Larry Sizemore. And that is not his porn name. It's his actual <laughs> name. In the way that Bill Johnson... Is that guy's actual name and not his porn name? Yeah, his porn name is Larry Cock. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, Michael is freaked Larry out because suit. Larry is a spy who he used to work with, but he is supposed to be dead. Um, and his little like little lower third explaining who he was or and still is says that he is Larry. And then it says, undead spy. All the lower thirds are very funny this week. Yeah, it was it was a good it was a good week for like text jokes. Yeah. I will say though, I was very confused. I mean, partially because we we've talked about Tim Matheson before because he has directed a couple of episodes already. But like he is introduced as if we should already know who he is. Like the way that Michael responds and like the how long it takes for us to like get explained to that he is a thing. I was like, the whole first half of the episode i was like have we seen this character before and i'm just forgetting because like they're treating no, him yeah, like haven't. he's an old friend <laughs> and they like are. That we should it's totally... so weird they're treating him like virgil where it's like yeah you That's should the know thing. him I there's all these references like, i kind of feel like if we hadn't just watched the episode with virgil this wouldn't be hitting us as hard but like it know, does maybe. sort just... of i mean definitely it still does but i do sort of feel like it does seem like they're playing him like we should have met him before, but no, we have not. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, eventually yeah. we get to it because, like, Fiona asks, like, who is this guy? And I'm like, oh, okay, so we definitely haven't met him. If Fiona hasn't no, met yeah, him, we have, neither have no, we. Fiona has not met him. But, um, yeah. So, but yeah, so um, Larry comes into the apartment, and it turns out that he is not dead, um, but now he's a freelancer um, who kills people for money. And he he has a job. He wants to kill a lady. And he wants Michael's help. Because it turns out, like, he has read the Michael the fake Michael Weston file about, on his burn notice. And he knows that he's been burned because supposedly he did all these terrible things. And for him, that's, like, great. Because, like, I also do terrible things. I realize that the American government is bogus. And... Like, I'm a weapon, and I should be used to kill people for money. And you, Michael, are a kindred spirit, and I remember our time together. And you can also help me kill this woman for money. Um, specifically, a woman named Jeannie, who used the to be a nurse. <laughs> the fact on. that anyone who has ever spent any amount of time with Michael Weston would think that anything in his file is real is absurd to me. Can like, I say, you... <laughs> like, I'm going to talk about this later. This is the central failing of this episode. I want to like this episode so much. And yeah, because like, there's a lot of really good stuff about it. There's a, there's a lot of really good stuff about this episode. And, like, 
I really appreciate the thing that they're trying to do, but they can't commit to it. Like, what this episode wants to be is an exploration of the darkness of Michael Weston via this mirror of Larry Sizemore. But the show has never made him dark in any way. Like, at one point, Larry says, I know you, you're no Boy Scout. Michael is a Boy Scout. Yeah, he, he for sure is. never not been a Boy Scout. Like, it sounds like the, the time in which they were together, like, Michael was a little younger, and, like, the the place that they were embedded together was, like, a little bit rougher, and, like, they were, like, the most competent boys in the crew. Um, and so it sounds like he has, like, he has seen a side of Michael Weston that's, like, fed up with bureaucracy and, like, incompetence, and then extrapolated that with the information in Michael Weston's fake burn file. Um, but, like... Based on everything that we have come to know and see about Michael Weston and like the implications that we've had from his past from other characters that we've met who've known him beforehand is that like there's no fucking way that like any reasonable human being could believe this about Michael Weston. I will say Larry is not a reasonable human being. He is a psycho. That's fair. He is. And I will give and to give Tim Matheson credit, I think he's very good at playing this psycho. Oh yeah, like, he's very fun, and and he's and he's, a, he's like a recurring um, character, and yeah, I'm glad and he's of it. Definitely killing it. It's, it's it's this is the second episode in the like this is like the fourth or fifth episode in a row where we've had a lot of like good back to back like unhinged kinds of bad guys, which are far yes. more interesting than like the sort of brutish like idiots. Hinged from bad guys. Yeah, yeah, like like uh like you know preppy boy bad guys and like incompetent bad guys. Like we're now getting like kind of crazies and I'm really enjoying that because it's much more fun to watch like buttoned up Michael Weston have to like deal with crazy people Uh, but the thing about this episode is that like not only like I can believe that Larry thinks that Michael Weston is like actually dark because yeah like he probably met this younger Michael Weston and also Larry is a fucking lunatic who, like, is a sort of psychopath that assumes that everyone else is like him. And, like, the thing is that, like, repeatedly, he's kind of bad at reading Michael. Yeah. So I get that. I buy that he thinks that this is true of Michael. The problem with this episode is that it, in order for it to do the thing that it wants to do, it has to try to get the audience to maybe agree with Larry a little bit. And it is incapable of doing that. Yeah, like, the, the problem is is that they've made Michael, like, too consistent, which it normally is good, but, like, the the, paint, the picture that they've painted of him does not have any rough edges. Michael Weston is exactly who he is. Yeah, he yeah he is a bathroom sign of a man who is exactly what he says on the tin. And I actually think that this is a very interesting example of kind of the limits of this kind of show. Like, this kind of show can't really do this kind of episode that it wants to do because, like, it can't allow Michael Wesson to... Michael Wesson? Michael Weston to actually be, like, morally compromised in any way. Yeah. Again, Michael Weston is not an anti-hero. He is an American hero. But this is... This is a story that needs Michael Weston to be an anti-hero a little bit, but it can't get there. Anyway, we're I'm going to go on with the weeds, and we'll talk more about this later. But yeah, <laughs> um, um, 
But yeah, so Larry has a job. And the job is this. There is this woman named Jeannie who was a nurse who married a very rich man um, who had cancer. And someone wants her to die before he dies so that she doesn't inherit any, inherit any of Robert the Cancer Man's money. It doesn't and matter Michael that his decides, name is Robert. Robert never appears on screen. Robert is irrelevant. He never, ever appears on screen. Um, but yeah. Um, Michael agrees to take this case because he knows that if he doesn't take the job, then this guy is going to kill her anyway. And Boy Scout that he is, he cannot allow her to die. So he, he basically buys himself some, some time by accepting a job in a way that anyone who knows Michael Weston would not believe, which is exactly. almost immediately willingly. He, yeah, the very fact that he accepts a job. <laughs> it should have been a red um, flag. Yeah. Um, I do want to, like, take a moment to talking about, like, the morality and stuff. And Larry as a character, he does have a really great line in the scene uh, where Michael says that, like, what he's doing is a slippery slope. And then he goes, Slip- slippery slopes can be fun, like water slides. <laughs> I really like that line. Again, this is. is another O'Neill and Tracy episode. And those are yeah. usually pretty fun. Yeah, we, we, we know and trust these boys. They gave us wanted yeah. man after all. Exactly. Anyway, so Michael calls Fee to get help finding, about, to get help finding out about who wants this woman dead. It's unclear uh, why he specifically needs Fee's help with this, but go on. Yeah, there's no reason why it has to be Fee. In fact, this is normally Sam's gig. Yeah, exactly. Normally Sam is recon guy, but it has to be Fee, because also in this scene, we finally meet Fee's new boyfriend, Campbell. <laughs> now, normally I would say that Campbell seems too boring for Fee, but then again, look at the guy that she's actually in love with. Yeah, exactly. Also, uh, worth mentioning, Campbell is uh, a very specific name choice. I don't know exactly what to think of the name Campbell, but I agree. Well, like Bruce. Oh, shit. I didn't even think of that. You didn't even think? It's They've literally also named, they've named a character Anwar before, and now they're naming someone Campbell. (laughs) That's right. I forgot about that. I guarantee there's a Donovan at some point. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely intentional. I hadn't thought of that. Um, but yeah, so, um, Michael asks if, like, he can borrow Fee for a second to, like, find out about Larry's case and, and this woman. We also learn Fee has told Campbell that Michael is a soil scientist. <laughs> Just such a random pull. It's really great, though. <laughs> Which, isn't that... It, that's kind of related to what Carla does. What Carla does, yeah. That's what I had that thought too. But like, they never connect it to that. Like, there's no. No, they don't. It was just in the in the air. Yep. Uh, soil scientist, which like, <laughs> and he goes I like, "Yep, yeah, I I love my dirt." Is <laughs> like his response when he's backing up the lie. What if he like didn't know what to do and just like reverted to to Jackson because that's a soil scientist. <laughs> No, Jackson was a no, meth would, dealer, steroid like designer. That's a very different. He would never alias. do that in front of like a competing male. Mm-hmm. Yeah, never in front of his sexual competition. No. Anyway, so Michael and Fee locate Jeannie at like an art gallery, and Michael that, explains that to she Fee, works at when she's not a nurse. She has such a. Random I don't think life. she's a nurse anymore. 
The thing is, no, that, like, no the they whole said that point... she splits her time half time. She spends half her time at yeah. the hospital and half her time at the art gallery. So what else is she oh, doing yeah, at the hospital? Okay, so she is nursing or whatever. But I mean, like, the thing is that, like, the whole thing is that she is trying to learn how to have money because she's not used to it. And so she's like, well, this is what rich people do. They, like, like do things at art galleries. Because <laughs> she doesn't know what to do with money. Because her whole thing is that she doesn't want the money. Because, of course, she doesn't. Because she has to be a good and pure person. Like, a good and she genuinely, woman. yeah, she genuinely loves this, like, cancer old man. man. <laughs> this old cancer man. This, this old cancer man. Who's, like, old enough to have an adult child. Um, yeah, who is, who is who probably we'll to closer later. to her age than his. Yeah. It took me forever to figure out where I had seen her before, but she was on The Office for a while. She dated Michael Scott for a while. That's where I've really? seen those actors. Yeah, like wow. in like some of the later bad in seasons, like six and seven. Got um, it. I probably didn't see that then. No, it wasn't very good. But that's where I, <laughs> the whole time I'm like, I know your face. I know what you do. And she's done a lot of little things, but like like a lot of guest roles and stuff. She was on Caroline in the City. I think that was her main claim to fame. Um, I've never yeah. heard of that property. Baby boomers know all about Caroline in the City. <laughs> Uh, this is such a bad runner. Why are we continuing it? I don't know. It's in the zeitgeist. All right. Okay, Boomer. Continue. There it is. All right. There it um, is. I know what the kids are about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Michael explains to Fee that he worked with Larry in the Balkans in the early 90s, which we all remember was a wild time. <laughs> uh, apparently... He faked his death by walking straight into a building that then blew up. Yeah, which all things considered seems kind of suspicious based on the other kinds of, like, fake deaths that we've heard about on this show. Exactly. But that was his retirement. And now he works in the private sector of killing people. Fee also gives Michael shit for keeping her away from Campbell. Like, you're just doing this so I won't be with Campbell. I mean, yeah, he's definitely doing it, but also, like... She helps him on cases all the time. And and now that they kind of know a little bit more about this woman, it makes sense that, like, what is he going to do? Have Sam babysit this poor, scared woman? I think having another woman around is probably going to be the better, like, case. Yeah. And so what they do is that Fee meets her in the art gallery and then, like, gives her a pen to sign something. And then the pen, like, explodes on her. Not, like, in a fee way. Like, in a normal way that, like, pens kind of explode. <laughs> where she just in gets a, ink all in over. A, yeah, in a normal, non-violent way. Exactly. Uh, which forces Jeannie to go to the ladies' room, where Michael is waiting. He, like, oh, jumps out and, like, grabs her and covers her mouth so she won't scream because a man is attacking her in the ladies' room. I mean, to be fair to him, he did have to do that because otherwise, like, no. there is there is no log line fast enough to not have this woman scream. 100%. Like, it's the right call. But, uh, and then he explains to her that he's been hired to kill her. <laughs> but it's okay. But it's okay because he's nice and he doesn't want to do it. Yeah, because that's, that's believable for a man who's, like, trapped you in a bathroom and covering your mouth. Exactly. And also, something else about this scene, like, the fact that he, 
I get why he does it, but like it only makes it worse for him is that so he he lets go of her mouth. He's like, I'm going to let go of your mouth. Like, don't scream. But then he doesn't like step away from her. He stays holding on to her with his hand like hovering near her mouth. And we know that this is because when he introduces the fact that he was sent to kill her, she's going to try to scream again. So he needs to like have quick access to her mouth. But what it actually means is like there is a man in the bathroom. You start to scream and he covers your mouth. And then he talks to you calmly and lets go of your mouth, but still is physically holding you. This stranger who has trapped you in a bathroom, who has already overpowered you. How terrifying must that be? Oh, no, it's fucking awful. And, like, he he doesn't have to do that. Like, like he says, she asks, who is going to kill me? And he does say, in the funniest way possible, like, well, me. But, like, he doesn't have to say it that way. No. I mean, this is just another example of Michael Weston having a fucking terrible bedside manner. Except when he doesn't. Exactly. Except when he doesn't. Like Madeline. Madeline has no idea what's going on at any point, even though things are explicitly told to her constantly. Except for when she does. But, yeah. And so he explains that, like, someone wants to, like, someone wants to kill her. And then he asks her, who do you think it is? And she thinks that it's probably her, like, stepson from, like, her husband's first marriage who's upset that she's in the will and thinks that she's a gold digger. And and they just are... And that's right, like... That, like, that instinct is correct and is never, like, questioned at all. Uh, yeah, the, they get their uh, suspect pretty quickly and without much drama at all. Exactly. And then Michael tells Jeannie that Fee is going to stay at her house for a few days to keep her safe. And she's like, hey, remember that one woman who's spilled ink on you? She's in it, too. We've, there's a lot of moving pieces in this trap. It's a good thing that we're nice. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely not trying to kill you, for sure. Yeah. We're the ones who are trying to keep you from getting killed by someone else who definitely wants to kill you. Only trust us. Such a bad spy. Such a bad spy. (laughs) So, Madeline shows up at Michael's and says that she's found a new counselor who definitely sides with her on stuff. And so she wants to try counseling again. And so Michael Gray is like, yeah, I'll do it again. Um, She also says that this counselor thinks it's important that, like, we do counseling in the house because that saves us money on sets. <laughs> For a second, I thought you said sex. <laughs> so that's we don't where, have to add that, a location. <laughs> so that's where I was at. Oh God. Anyway, so um, Sam gives Michael a dossier on Bill Johnson that he implies that he got in exchange for sex, because <laughs> Sam acts is so good that fuck. That Sam Axe is so good at fucking that women just give him stuff. Veronica just gave him stuff. This buddy of his just gave him a dossier because he's so good at fucking. I mean, at a certain point, we're going to explore exactly what his strategies are because I am riveted. I have to know. Oh, my God. Um, Like, yeah, I think he says, I got it from a buddy. And using that Sammy magic. And he's like, but, like, women can be buddies, too. Uh, do you mean the magic of Sammy getting some hammy? God. 
Anyway, so Bill Johnson is basically a super sniper for the Marines. Like, he's not exactly that, but, like, he's a guy who's good at sniping. Did the Marines and, need snipers? Is that a thing Marines do? I guess I'm I not clear on, do. like, the, the difference between the branches. Like, Marines are kind of shock troops. I feel like Marines are always the first guys in. But if they're uh, the first guys in, like, why would they be sniping? I don't know. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't matter. <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, Moving on. But yeah, point is that, like, he's quite good at sniping. And so it makes sense. Sniper, no sniping. Yes. It makes sense that this guy might be a bad combination with a sniper rifle. Um, yeah, that, that would stand to reason. Um, Sam tailed Bill Johnson and then found out that the old lady and the dog was his landlady and her dog. Um, also, Michael tells Sam that he's doing a job to uh, for Larry and like to take down Larry. And Sam wants in because Sam hates Larry. <laughs> he like really hates Larry. Uh, like, it's, I'm so, like, sad that this was, like, a basic cable show, because otherwise, like, uh, Sam would have been, oh, Larry, fuck that guy. Like, everything <laughs> about his demeanor, everything about his demeanor in that scene is just, fuck that guy. Really quickly, so how do Michael and Sam know each other? Because they had pretty different jobs didn't they well like how, I mean, how much overlap did they have back when both of them are running legit and sam wasn't retired like how does sam know uh the vice president of the united states whatever the hell his name is um oh oh larry larry yeah how does sam know larry i just get the sense that they were all working jobs around the same locations at the same time i mean like the thing is, like, how does Sam know Michael? Like, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm also curious about that because it, it sort of has never been fully explained, I feel like. Especially, yeah. give, like, especially with the additional wrinkle that, like, Sam also knows other contacts of Michael's. Like, it feels like they both had, like, very little and a lot, like, overlap back in the spy days. It's possible that there were, like, a, a few missions. Like, it makes sense that, like, it sounds like Larry... And Michael were running together a lot for those couple years and in similar circles. So maybe Sam met them both at that time. I guess. The thing is, that's a, one of the, another problem with this episode is that it has to very quickly manufacture an important person in Michael's life. And it's, it's incredibly hard to do that. Yeah, it really is. Especially in like the time frame that they had. Yeah. And to suddenly be like, oh, yeah. This is someone that, like, and that's why they have to have Sam being like, oh, fuck that guy. Right, you need, you need a corroborating witness. Exactly, and also to give a sense that, like, oh, this is someone who has history with our heroes. This is an important person. Anyway, uh, so Fee hangs out with, at uh, Jeannie's place, waiting for Drew to show up, Drew the son. Um, Jeannie explains that she, like Michael, does not care at all about money. <laughs> but he, because that's the mark of a good person. A good person does not care about money. Like, that's, that's what and wants said. to give it away. She says, "Like, I would give him. I would give him all the money. I don't care about the money. I just love this man. I just love this um, cancer man. This yes. Um. And so, 
while while Fee waits for Drew to show up, she goes into his bedroom and goes through his trash too. There's a lot of going through trash this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't very really find anything. Dirty episode. It's a very down and dirty episode, but does leave a uh, a cell phone like under his mattress, so as to spy on Drew, and then and then Drew arrives. And here's the thing about Drew. Drew is played by Zachary Ty Bryan. Who is that? I knew I recognized him, but like, is that who is that? Zachary Ty Bryan was the kid on Home Improvement who was not Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> I've never like, seen Home Improvement, so I have no point of reference for that. But I feel like both those kids in the 90s, they were like teen heartthrobs. Like, I feel like Jonathan Taylor Thomas was the sensitive one. And, like, Zachary Ty Bryan was more the, like, sports one. <laughs> the bad boy, oh, maybe. Yeah, you would not be able to tell that from this episode. Oh, no. But I feel like I've seen Zachary Ty Bryan and other things since then. I think he is definitely settled into the kind of the type that he is most well cast for, which is obnoxious white douchebag. <laughs> I mean, everybody's got a type. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it was very distracting to me that it was Zachary Ty Bryan. Almost as distracting as if it had been Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> I need to know what Jonathan Taylor Thomas is doing right now at this moment but there's no way for me to find out <laughs> and what's the point of like uh, having a police state if we can't know what, <laughs> what Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor, Taylor Thomas, Thomas is doing <laughs> at all times well the police state isn't for us Chris I think that that's, that's where the confusion is coming from that's fair what are you doing, JTT? Do you think he listens to this podcast? Let's get JTT to listen to this podcast. Hey, uh, new new reason to be on Twitter with us. Get Jonathan Taylor Thomas to listen to our Burn Notice podcast. Exactly. He loves Burn Notice. Zachary Ty Bryan was on it. Tweet at him constantly and tag us. God. <laughs> Implicate uh, us anyway. in this grift. Anyway, so, like, Drew walks into the bedroom and Fee barely escapes. But it's good that she left the um, phone because it allows us to hear a conversation that he has with this coke dealer who he is also contracted to kill Jeannie. He has hired at this point two assassins to kill Jeannie. Well, he wants it done right by at least he wants (laughs) he wants multiple people to kill this bitch. Exactly. So Larry meets Sam and Michael at the apartment and Sam is so angry at Larry's very existence it's like he was Fee back in season one (laughs) and Larry is angry that Drew has double booked the job with amateurs because that means that since amateurs are involved that cops are definitely going to show up and if any cops are involved like Larry's policy is to kill everybody like Kill the person he's supposed to kill. Kill the person who hired him. Anyone who's seen his face. Kill the barista at Starbucks. Just kill everybody. I mean, as psychotic kill- as that is, to his credit, that's probably a good, like, contingency plan to have. It is if you're good at kill. I mean, he is very good at killing people. But the thing is that, like, that is the that's a lot got, to clean yeah. up. It's a lot to clean up. Um, sure, but even, like, like, at the point at which, like... 
somebody connects that like all of these murders are connected, even the Starbucks barista, like no, the only connection to him are the dead people. And presumably he's careful enough that like there's no like paper trail or anything, especially if the job isn't yeah. done yet. So like even if it's suspicious, like there is literally no reason why this random guy who is presumably dead would be connected to it. This is true. Anyway, but Michael disagrees with the kill everybody plan. And I then can't Larry's imagine like, why. Larry's like, come on, we're basically the same guy. We love killing people. Remember how right. we used to kill people? Love that shit. Um, but Larry decides to let Michael hand it, handle it his way, his non-killing people way, um, which involves going to Drew and getting him to call everything off. Because if and- there's no assassination, or not assassination, it's just a murder. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely not an assassination. It's for, it's just straight up murder. If there's no murder, then like there's no need for cops. And uh, um, and he he goes in basically pretending to be Larry, right? Yes, exactly. In the next scene, uh, because Drew has not actually met Larry, he's only done everything like through email and stuff. And so uh, Michael goes in and pretends that he's Larry Sizemore, and meets Drew. At where else? The restaurant where he hangs out. Although in this case, he does own it. Apparently, his dad is so rich that he could just gave a lot him of a our, restaurant. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our bad guys have owned, like, the clubs that they hang out in. That's true. But so we meet him at the restaurant that he hangs out in. And he pretends to be Larry and threatens to kill Drew. Like, he drags him away from, like, the restaurant part into his office and, like, pushes his face up against a fish tank. Because... <laughs> Every I was really worried that he was going to fish tank. Oh, for sure. I was really worried that he was going to break the fish tank. I was too. I was worried for those fish. I know. They didn't uh, deserve this. They didn't. Anyway, so Larry in quotation marks threatens to kill Drew if he doesn't call off the two other assassins that he's hired to kill Gene Genie. At this point, he has hired three different people to kill this woman. Yeah, this, like, this seems like a bad plan, like, on every level for him. Why hire multiple people? Like, they're going to affect each other's work. Hire one. If he fails, hire another. Like, don't hire them in bulk at the same time. It's Haven't like you ever sort of tried weird... to assassinate someone before? Come on. It's like some sort of, like, 90s Tarantino movie about, like, about like colorful assassins, or it's like uh, that one episode of Buffy where they, where it's like um, homecoming, and there's all these different uh, Slayer Fest, right? Yeah, uh, except it's just because Zachary Ty Bryan is an idiot. <laughs> He's really stupid. Yeah, it, we're back to like ding dong bad guy. Yeah, but I mean, we also have a crazy bad guy. That's true. Yeah, and crazy bad guy is doing a great job. Like the fact and that they have like, to like pretend to work with him while also foiling his plan uh, is a is like a fun dynamic for sure. It is fun. Anyway, so Michael and Madeline meet their new counselor at Madeline's place, and this counselor is clearly awful. He approaches it more like a mediation almost yeah. rather than like a counseling session, like a more kind of free form open counseling session. It, yeah, it does. It's, yeah, definitely more that. It's like 
He wants to like set up lines of communication. Like, yeah, like a mediation. I thought about that, but it's very true. Uh, Michael is very bored because he sucks. Uh, yeah. The counselor, not Michael. Uh, Michael's our good little boy. Um, <laughs> Just the best little boy in his best little shirts. Exactly. Um, and the bright idea that this counselor has come up with is that each of them have to make a list of five things that they're grateful to the other person for. Madeline loves this. And Michael asks, so you mean you're going to give us homework? And the guy goes, I like to think of it as life work. And the face Michael gives him, oh. It's so, oh my God. Um, It's it's just so good. After this, um, Michael asks Madeline for his dad's gas company like uniform and when he won't tell her why she gives him shit for not communicating like she always does um but in this point like he decides maybe i should say something so he tells her that he needs to get the landlady and her dog out of her apartment so uh, madeline suggests that he be an exterminator who's like spilled some spray and that the landlady needs to get out or else the dog will get sick and michael's like that's actually pretty good. <laughs> like, all right, mom, this... we might not be so different, you and I. This is like the second or third time ever that Madeline has been useful. Well, to be fair, how often has she asked, like, called upon to be useful? You know what I mean? And, like, that is that is the point. Like, um, it's sort of if Michael would actually communicate a little bit more, maybe that she would actually have useful advice and he likes it so much (laughs) that he puts it down in his life work oh my god his little list like the label of the list like it seemed like something we would do like the shot of like things i'm grateful to mom for number one gave me a good alias idea and then like four empty numbers it was a very cute little insert like very sort of slapstick i honestly it felt like something you and i would do yeah but so you were saying uh what was i saying Oh, about, like, Madeline. Oh, yeah. So the thing about, like, Michael and Madeline's relationship that at this point in the series is getting kind of old for me is that, like, Michael is so unwilling to, like, bring her in on anything and, like, let her know what's happening. But, like, he hasn't cut her out of his life. She has... I'm pretty sure she has a key to his place or at least can get into it pretty easily. Like she has constant contact with his main like co-conspirators. Um, and like the idea that he thinks that just keeping her out of the loop is going to make her safer is ludicrous to me. Especially when like the couple of times she's been let in, she's been useful. Like why doesn't he tell her what's going on? Because at this point she knows what's happening. She knows he's constantly in danger. So like the shock factor of like, oh no, something bad has happened, like eventually is going to wear off. And in a lot of cases already has. So like it, it honestly just seems like he's being stubborn for stubborn sake, keeping her out of this. Like at this point, I feel like it would be easier for everyone if he was just like, oh yeah, mom, sorry, I can't talk right now. Like a girl is being sex trafficked. So like, Like, I got to go play a prisoner. Uh, I'll see you at dinner tomorrow. I mean, yes. I do think it's also kind of funny that, like, the thing that she wants is just to be more in his life. But she is in his life all the time. As you're saying. Like, she's clearly... And, like... It's like the it's it's like the being called on her birthday thing that got brought up the last time they were in therapy together, where she was like, the one time that my overseas spy son didn't call me on my birthday made me feel really bad. And it's like... 
He called you on your birthday every year. Missed it one year, and that's what you're holding on. Like presumably, he did it after that. It wasn't like he stopped. He didn't call her one year and then never called her again. It was one year. Exactly. So it does seem like both of them just need to like chill. Yeah, both of them are just like fully unreasonable people. Exactly. But yeah, and I. But you are right that like he should just let her in more. And that's the thing that this episode almost wants to do. This episode really wants to be a critique of Michael Weston that cannot really find anything that he does wrong other than kind of doesn't listen to Madeline. Which in most cases is a fairly straightforward, like, good decision. And the thing is that, like, Michael Weston has a lot of problems. We talked yes. about a lot of them last week. <laughs> We've talked about them a lot on this show. Like, it would be very easy to tell a story about the flaws of Michael Weston because they all exist. But um, the show is just unable to, like, deal with them in a real way in the same way that they're unable to deal with the actual emotions of, like, the trauma of his childhood. Because... It's a show that's fundamentally not set up to do that kind of emotional storytelling. Yeah. Um, but it's trying to. Um, and I want to give it points for trying, but it also means I have to, like, grade it harsher for failing. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair way to put it. This, this show, yeah, this show really, like, it wants to be more impressive than it is. Like, in, in in terms of its, like, emotional storytelling in a procedural sort of style. But, like, it like the, they, they don't have the emotional maturity to pull that off. But, yeah. And, so, they watch Sam and Michael watch the landlady leave with her dog um, and search Bill Johnson's place. And they find, like, hidden in a wall, a crossword puzzle from Carla. The, the only useful thing that that puzzle has done is, like give her like a visual connection in these like two otherwise unrelated people. Because otherwise, yeah. as I have said on the record before on this podcast, this fucking crossword system is so unnecessary. Just tell them. Incredibly Especially unnecessary. Because like if the point is like, I don't want like there to be a paper trail of like the request or whatever. Well, there is because you've given them a clue that both of these idiots now have written the like solution on the side of it for. So yeah. like if you're, if you're, trying to achieve like a no paper trail thing, you're doing it badly. So if that's not the problem, uh, like assuming that she's not that bad at her job, like what's the point? I, no, I don't know. It's a badly run organization. So um, badly also, run. Also, in, in this scene, Larry calls again, just to remind Michael, you know, we could kill everybody. <laughs> like he literally says, I want to pitch you my plan to kill everybody again. <laughs> and then Michael's like, no, it's fine. I've got this. I'm going to go talk to Drew now, and he'll tell me that he's definitely called off both the assassins. Because uh, uh, my experience with this man so far is that he is a reasonable person. And Sam suggests that Larry is, like, calling again, not because he has anything useful, but just that, like, he has some sort of thing about Michael, which seems to be kind of true. Yeah. He, he, again, he sees him not. as the son he never had. Yeah. He would never say that because 
he would never admit that he's that much older than Michael. Because <laughs> he's so attractive and sprightly. Uh, well, who's exactly. that? Your your brother? Your younger brother? Larry. <laughs> anyway, so Michael meets Drew, who, try, who tries to kill Michael as incompetently as possible. Yep. Um, Michael makes quick work of this, and then Drew explains that he couldn't call off both hits. And that one guy... He called off one, though. Yeah, he called off one. But he could not call off, like, another one. And one guy is about to hit Genie right now, as we record this podcast, Man. with a garbage truck. And no one can call her to let her know because um, he placed a cell phone jammer in her car. I mean, um, I have to say, who, who do we know which one this assassin is? Because like he hired his drug dealer as one of them, but who is the other guy that he hired? Or did, is that explained? It's not explained. They're just he's another guy. I'm assuming that the person, the guy in the garbage truck, is the other guy, because no, I think he does say that he got his coke dealer to stop, and that this is the other guy. Well, so the reason I ask is because like that's a pretty smart play that like. He, like, goes through the trouble of jamming her cell phone in her car. Like, that's really smart. It is smart. Uh, And then, like, kills her in a way that is meant to look like an accident. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, he seems like a smart guy. When we eventually meet him, he looks just kind of like a biker. Yeah, it's... (laughs) This episode is, like, not very specific about a lot of things. No, it's not. But yeah, so Michael, hearing that she's about to die and cannot be called... Steals a truck and then like uses like his truck to stop the garbage truck by like okay. basically. Al- How does he know where the truck is? The garbage truck. How does Magic. he know where the garbage truck is? <laughs> Magic. Um, I don't remember. I don't think it's explained. Um, he just like runs off, steals a car, and then like miraculously gets there just in time on like a very scenic stretch of road there that there are no other cars on in the middle of nowhere. I, you know, someone may have said something, and it's possible that someone who has watched this episode is screaming at us the very obvious answer, but I don't remember. And also and, we don't accept criticism, so I guess we'll never know. Exactly. Um, but yeah, like, so he does is he just, he doesn't run it off the road. Like, he gets in front of the truck, the garbage truck, with his with his truck that's, like, a pickup truck. And, like, s- slams on the brake so that the garbage truck, like, basically rolls over the pickup bed part. It, it doesn't roll over the whole car. He almost gets run over. Yeah. It's, like, it's um, a pretty ballsy move. It really is. Like, he could have very easily died doing that. Uh, but not only is he fine, but he's fine enough to punch out the biker-looking guy who was driving the garbage truck. Well, Chris, he's Michael West, an American hero. Like, what else would you expect from him? Yeah, this is not a man who needs an inhaler. <laughs> no, this is a real man. Anyway. But with that assassin, like, taken out, punched out, which means he's done, he is... He is not going to assassin anymore. Um, he, Michael uh, talks to Larry and convinces that Larry that everything is fine and that no one needs to get killed. And Larry seems kind of disappointed that he doesn't get his money. 
and he can't work with Michael anymore because he really likes working with Michael, uh, he shakes Michael's hand and says, oh, well, and then he leaves. And then the episode ends. It's, yeah, it's kind it's, of weird. It was pretty anticlimactic, a, yeah. It's weird that it's a 30-minute episode this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the episode just sort of ends. Um, and then, like, of course, being burned out as we do get check-in with Bill Johnson one last time. And so they, like, see Bill Johnson, and they've, like, bugged his place, too. And it sounds like Carla has done the same shit to him. Yeah, where she's, where, like, like, blackmailing him. Like, Bill Johnson does not want to does not want to be no, an assassin. So, and it's sort of implied that, like, she got him dishonorably discharged, much in the way that she got Michael burned. And Which, again, that, like... like I have yet to see, like, I, I mean, Bill Johnson at least has, like, a particular skill that he is being used for. Like, why did she burn Michael Weston? At this point, literally nothing he has done seems to be, like, deserving of burning one particular spy. And again, a, such an overqualified spy, too. For real. Um, it's honestly, it's, the, the plan makes no sense. For the dishonorable the discharge makes- guy, I, it makes more sense for him because it's like, we need a, like an amazing sniper, but the only guy who's an amazing sniper is like a really good guy. So if we corrupt him and like blackmail him, like he'll have no choice but to work for us. But like Michael Weston is just sort of like a jack of all trades guy who they're having doing grunt work. And it's like, just hire a guy from fucking Craigslist for this shit. Like who cares? And then kill them. We know that you're fine with killing people. So just, like, hire a getaway driver, you know, steal the sniper rifle, and then shoot the motherfucker in the head. Why is Michael Weston involved? Yeah. Um, it doesn't... No, it doesn't make sense. Because, like, Michael is probably... Like, he's good at everything. Like, it makes sense to burn Michael and use him as an asset. But they're using him, like, basically to set up stuff for this other guy. It doesn't make sense. They're just... Make sense. Carlos... Carlos, people are bad at their job. Anyway, so it sounds like he's got a date to meet, to do something for Carla. And they get a date for that. And, like, presumably that'll happen next week. But then, oh, no, Michael gets a call from Drew, the man who supposedly was supposed to run off. But he has not run off. And it turns out that... Um, that neither has Larry. Neither, well, yeah. Uh, Drew calls and like calls him and says that a man showed up at his door and told him that the hit was still on. An older man, a handsome and distinguished man, who seems <laughs> that he's as good behind the camera that he is in front of it. And his name is Michael Weston. <laughs> That's not a bit we're doing. Uh, Larry Sizemore is pretending to be Michael Weston. Exactly. Much in the same way that Michael Weston pretended to be Larry Sizemore. But this time, consent was not given. Oh, no. Anyway. So Michael and Fee get in touch with Jeannie and tell her that, no, you're not safe yet. Sorry, we told you you were safe, but you're not safe. But um, just go to your charity lunch at your at your charity auction or whatever and with your art stuff that you do. And <laughs> Fee will go with you and help you out and just do what she tells you. And you're going to be safe. We will not let anyone assassinate you. Uh, no, we agreed it's not an assassination. It's just a fucking murder. Yes. Anyway, so, um, and then Sam tells Michael that Larry has definitely stolen some poison to poison uh, Jeannie with because Larry always did like poison. Which is uh, interesting because, like, in other shows, uh, like, about, like, murderers and stuff, it's been, and, and I think this is a real fact as well. I think I've looked it up before. Like, poison is a women's weapon. Like, women, yeah. when women murder people, they tend to do things that are, like, a little bit more subtle. Uh, and less violent like there are things that like they can be kind of like 
detached from the murder, which is very much a poisoner's kind of thing. It's like that you don't have to physically like take the life from someone. You can just sort of set them up. Um, so I thought that was interesting that, uh, especially yeah. in contrast to like the manliness that this show loves, that they would give exactly. their like macho, handsome man, like former spy, such a ladylike murder weapon. This is true. And we know that Larry is definitely going to do it at the Janie's lunch and then afterwards get paid by Drew. And so Michael decides that like at this payment stage, Michael's going to have to kill him. Michael's going to have to shoot him. And, and again, like, this episode wants to, like, say something about killing. Yeah. Like, and Michael like, Weston's relationship him. to killing. Yeah, exactly. Especially, I mean, it, it seems funny that now that this is now this is happening, given, like, how many murders we've seen Michael Weston either commit or, like, entice someone exactly. else to commit. But also, like... But we're not inter- like in a way that doesn't bring up those other murders. Like if like right, he had brought up these other mur- those are other murders. Like yeah, or or, anything. Or if like the bad guy of the week or whatever was like related to someone that Michael had gotten killed before, you know? Yeah, or just anything to really interrogate my- Michael Weston. But they don't like do that. Like, but it it's this big moment, and it also they're really trying to play out the idea that Larry was a friend of his. And, like, that doesn't read at all. No, it really doesn't. Because as soon as we're introduced to him, it's like, hey, bud, want to go do a murder with me? Exactly. He's clearly a bad person. And, like, yeah, there's, there's no, no sense that, like... They're trying that, to tell a nuanced story without any nuanced situations or characters. Yeah. No, and in this scene, Sam is like, do you want me to do it? And Michael's like, no, I got to do it. And, like, who cares? <laughs> you just... <laughs> Yeah, he's a yeah, he's a weird asshole who we've never seen before. I mean, we have seen him behind the camera. But so anyway, Michael goes to Drew and tells Drew that Michael Weston, quotes, is bad news and is definitely going to kill him. And that the only way that Drew can save himself is by helping Michael kill Michael. <laughs> it's all very confusing. And then, and then Drew needs to run for his life because Michael really doesn't like him. And I think, like, it, they want to play, because that's the other thing, is they also want to play with, like, he really doesn't like Drew because, like, he ordered a hit on his stepmom and, like, he's obviously a terrible person. Yeah. And, like, so I think it also wants to play with this idea that Michael really does want to kill Drew. But, like, it can't sell it. Yeah, even they, though, they, like, he just doesn't have enough time with him. Like this episode, in in a way that, la- that is like way less complicated than last week's episode, but somehow feels more rushed in a lot of places. Like a lot of the sort of storylines feel really underdeveloped. Whereas last week, we had a fuck ton of stuff going on, but everything felt like it was developed and like it made sense and like we tracked things from place to place, even though there was a lot going on. Whereas this episode, it feels like there really isn't that much happening, and yet like we don't spend any time with anyone. Like we don't really learn a lot about nurse art gallery lady uh you know her perspective or anything we don't learn a ton about like rich kid except for the fact that he continues to hire more and more assassins which is not all that interesting and we don't even learn that much about larry except for the fact that he's like a psychotic like murderer and yeah. so like well, to build to this think... big thematic moment about like whether or not Michael Weston is a good person uh and is capable of killing like in cold blood or whatever like 
no one is developed enough for us to give a shit. Oh, to be fair, like, last week wasn't trying to tell this kind of story. True. Last week was trying to, like, have a, it was like a fun adventure story. Whereas, like, again, this wants to be a character piece. This wants to be, like, a deconstruction a little bit. This wants to be a smarter thing, but it can't be it. But I still think that, like, it could have learned something from the way that last week structured itself. Because we learned a lot more about a lot more people, despite it not being, you know, one of the more prestigious episodes. Yeah. I will say, maybe some of this comes down to direction, Mr. Matheson. I don't know. I don't think it is. I think it's definitely a writing problem. Because, like, Oh, it's definitely a writing problem, too. (laughs) Like, directing can only affect the storytelling so far in television. And, like, this is definitely not a directing problem. No. I I would say more that I think last week was better directed. And, like, a lot of the things that we liked about last week were, like, pace. And, like, I think pace is definitely something that can be affected by directing. That's fair. I'll give you that. And, like... Yeah, um, you know what? You're right. Fuck Tim Matheson. Yeah. Anyway, at the, at the end of the scene, though, there is a real fun transition where, like, Michael as Larry does this creepy smile when he threatens Drew, and it, like, transitions to this, like, painting of a face at the art gallery, and it's really dumb, and I kind of love it. <laughs> so, I'll give you that, Tim Matheson. You get one thing, and one thing you only. You get one thing. Fee's at the charity event, and she sees Larry, and then describes him to Sam on the phone as good-looking. Because, of course. Yeah, at this point, yeah, it really is, like, pointed. Like, all right, everybody. Like, you can take turns sucking to Matheson's dick. You don't have to all do it at once. Oh, God. At the other end of the phone call, Sam is posing as a paramedic with Campbell, who has now been dragged into this. Because he has an ambulance and they need an ambulance. Um... And my favorite thing about this is that, like, at one point, Sam pulls out a gun and, like, cocks it. And then Campbell's like, so are you a soil scientist, too? <laughs> Campbell is del- just delightful. And Sam's like, Campbell yeah, sure. Is great. <laughs> uh, you know, he's really good at being, like, a, a dumb boyfriend. He's a himbo. He is a himbo. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, my God. I feel like but Fiona would like, really like himbos. Like, I feel like that's fun for her. Oh, 100%. But, yeah, back at and back at the charity auction, uh, Larry sprays Jeannie's fork with the poison, the poison for Jeannie, the poison chosen especially to kill Jeannie, Jeannie's poison. <laughs> anyway, while this is going on, uh, Michael sets up a sniper rifle at the roof of a building. And back at the charity auction, Jeannie pointedly does not use that fork but does fake a heart attack and then fee calls 911 pretty convincingly too this this nurse slash art gallery patron is quite the talented dramaturg um dramaturg is not the that sounds wrong but i don't know yeah dramaturg is uh the person who like does the research and like help it's like they're sort of like the historical scripty for a play Mm. like they do a lot of research and like inform every aspect of like the production of a play through like having the information like they're the one that just like knows everything Hmm. so do not at me i know dramaturg was not the correct terminology for that statement oh all right now i know um but yeah so they call 911 and are sure to get genie into campbell's ambulance 
at at what point at at which point it is implied that the ambulance is being driven by the same woman who Sam Axe fucked so good that she gave up info. Apparently, he fucked her so good that now she's impersonating an ambulance driver. Sam Axe is very good at fucking. Yeah, it it's it is beyond they have to tell me. They have to tell me what Sam Axe is doing to these women. They have to. It's gone on too far. Oh, if, like if anyone involved, if Bruce Campbell, I'm sure Bruce Campbell would be very willing to tell us. God, can you imagine having Bruce Campbell in this podcast? He would love it so much. Oh. I feel like Bruce oh, Campbell would, would really it. jive with us. I think he would. If anyone knows anyway, Bruce so- Campbell, please get in touch. This is the one and only time I am lifting the do not contact us unless it's about Jeffrey Donovan, like, rule. Jeannie is fine, and that's all over now. But now we have to deal with Drew and Larry. So Drew arrives at this drop site where he's supposed to give Larry the money. And Larry is there, but he's, like, hiding behind a wall where conveniently Michael cannot shoot him. I don't know why he knows that's the right wall. But, like... (sighs) He's hiding there. Um, And Michael tells Drew, like, make him come to the car to get the money. But Larry is too smart for that. He has seen Burn Notice. Um, Yeah, it's the second week in a row where the villain has finally watched Burn Notice and is like, oh, that's how they're getting us. Okay, we'll switch some things up. So, and Drew is an idiot. So he, like, goes and grabs the money and it's in a duffel bag. But, like, he's not so much of an idiot that he just gives it to him. So he just, like throws it on the ground in front of him and then looks up at Michael. Well, Even no, though first he can't he, first, see Michael. Yeah, he can't see Michael at all. But also, um, before he he looks up at Michael, he's like, well, don't you want your money? Come and get it. Come here and get your money. Yeah. <laughs> and like the Come worst. out into the open. Yeah, the uh, you can tell that he's not um, the client of the week's biological son because no biological son of hers would have such a bad performance. No. And so Larry, of course, knows that, like, Michael is there and is going to shoot him. So he, like, runs out and he, like, grabs Drew and he just starts throttling Drew. And, like, Drew, like, fights and he's trying to drag him away. And while he's doing this, Larry muses uh, about whether or not uh, Michael is going to shoot and take the shot. um, Because he, Larry, definitely would. And... Fucking Michael is there all conflicted. Like, he doesn't have the shot. Should I shoot them? And, like, he's... And he hates fucking Drew so much that he has to think about maybe I could just kill them both or whatever. But he doesn't do that. Because he is a Boy Scout. Mm -hmm. And so Larry drags Drew behind the wall and then just breaks his neck. I feel like it's got to be harder to break someone's neck like that. But, you know, go off. Okay. But when you are so smart and handsome and sort of silver foxy <laughs> and, and so virile no, despite and, your age and so virile and so good at like setups and getting B-roll um, and always remembering to get room tone, <laughs> then yeah, you can, you can snap someone's neck pretty easy. And then uh, Larry calls Michael. And, like, taunts him about it and asks him why he didn't shoot. And Larry thinks that he didn't shoot, uh, Michael didn't shoot him because Michael still considers Larry a friend. Which is not 
a thing that any of us in the audience are entertaining because we don't have a relationship with this person. It's not, we've not really built up a relationship between the two of them at all. It just makes Larry look like a, an idiot and a psychopath, which he yeah. is, but like, there's no sense that like, there's any gray to this. Um, and then Michael just tells Larry that Jeannie is alive and that he better get out of town because the cops are coming after him, which for some reason, this doesn't mean that Larry is going to kill everybody. Even though he said many times that once the cops are involved, he kills everybody. But I guess too many people have seen his face. I don't know. It, that doesn't track. But Larry runs away and lives to fight another day. Yeah. It ultimately, like, it, it fell pretty flat for a lot of reasons, which is too bad. Because it could have been, like, a really intense, like, dramatic scene about morality. And, like, it was not. Yeah. It was not. And it's very disappointing. Anyway, back at Madeline's. Uh, Michael is reading his list, and it's apparently mostly bullshit. Uh, the one example we hear is that he got his mom's eyesight. And he's like, the we, we kind of cut into the scene when he's mid-explaining, like, how many missions he's been on where, like, his eyesight has been vital to, like, his survival or whatever, which I honestly think is really sweet and funny. Um, yeah. But Matt, Madeline is not impressed. No, he seems to really care. I think he worked really hard on this list. I do. Well, he wrote it out and he had like a like a, a title to the list and everything. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's so analog. It's like now, if we if we wrote anything at all, it'd be like in a notes app or something. <laughs> yeah, it'd There's be a screenshot so of a like, notes app on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, Madeline is pissed. We also find out in this scene... That, like, because um, Madeline says that Michael ran away. And the counselor's like, you ran away? And he's like, and Michael's like, oh, and I joined the military when I was 17. Like, my dad signed the form that said I could go to the military. It's the only nice thing he did. And then we learned that actually Madeline forged his dad's name. I don't know why Madeline couldn't just sign it. I think it was, she forged his dad's name because she wanted him to think that it was his dad. I don't think that it was the form needed to be from his father. Only a father can give away his son to the military. I think it was like, that was a calculated decision that she had made uh, to Mm. make Michael think that his dad, like, you know, said, go with God, join the military. Exactly. Because he wasn't going to do that. Um, And he, and then again, she explains that she wanted him to go to the military because she was kind of worried that, like, he would go to jail otherwise. And that, like, he got some sort of, like, darkness from his father or something. Which, again, is Comes out of fucking nowhere. But it's, like, that's the thing. Is that, like, if they had been building this episode up to that, like, if they had been doing a version of this show where they allowed Michael to be an antihero, to be someone who is kind of morally gray, then that beat lands. Like, that's a thematic beat that's very consistent with the, the beat that they were trying to land, like, in the previous scene. Like, the nuts and bolts are here, but, like, no one's good at setting this up. Like, the show up to this point hasn't been able to set this up. Like, the episode itself isn't able to really traffic in the sorts of, like, I emotions and themes that you need to make this kind of thing work. 
Well, here's the interesting um, thing is that if you actually like listed out all of the shit that Michael has done just since the beginning of the show. So like not even mentioning like the actual shit he did in the CIA, like not the fake burn notice shit that he did um, or allegedly but did. But the actual thing that he did because yeah, the but, CIA is like awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like if you just started with the first episode of this television show that we have spent a lot of time watching and talking about over the past couple of months and you wrote down all of the actions he has taken and all of the lives he has either directly or indirectly taken as a result and or ruined like that shit gets pretty bad <laughs> however the it tone does. of but the tone of the show does not treat it as bad the tone of the show treats it like yep just another day at the office and so when you exactly wrestle the with same way epith- it treats like his, his yeah his trauma and his you know his his abuse at the hands of his father and by extension his mother but like the problem is yeah the show doesn't know how to like handle that so that when when it tries to be like, hey, remember this really dark thing that happened? It's like, no, I don't. Because it was like played with clown music underneath. Like nobody gave a shit. <laughs> like you, you can't just treat everything like it's no big deal and have no one on screen treat it like a big deal. And then all of a sudden everyone's treating it like a big deal. Like if it's one thing if like the, sh- the character is Michael Weston is like, oh, it's no big deal. But like maybe, you know, his mom said like, I don't like how many people you've been killing recently. Or Bruce Campbell is like, hey, Mike, I think you took that a little far. But like no one's doing that. Everyone's like, "This is fine until they until it's not." So like something has to be in place to deal with like the literal reality of Michael Weston being maybe kind of a monster. But like they have not laid any of those pieces except for like the axe. But if you treat the axe a certain way, then they have zero impact from like an actual emotional standpoint because we like you have trained the audience to assume that it's fine. Yeah, and to not care about that. And, like, exactly. it's one thing to, like, do an episode that's kind of a rug pull. Like, where it's like, oh, you didn't care about that, but you should have. But it doesn't do that either. No, it doesn't. So, like, like, I had fun watching this episode because, like, I do think that Larry Sizemore was, like, a fun wrinkle. And I I am excited for him to come back because I think he's interesting. And I think he adds an interesting, like, dynamic to uh, to the show but like yeah the more we talk about it the more i'm like boy this is a huge like swing and a miss and it's unfortunate because i really do like these these writers and i and i think you see like their shine in the sort of character like more absurdist character beats and like the hey buddy take us wherever you want like you know the sam stuff uh and fiona and her dumb himbo boyfriend um like the the little like details are fun but the overall storytelling it's just, yeah. it's not there. You want to know another thing about this episode that also, for me personally, kind of breaks it? What's that? Um, imagine this episode. Okay. But instead of Tim Matheson, it's Lucy Lawless. Ooh. It's, like, instead of killing that character off, like... They brought that character back. You have to change it slightly. Now it's not a thing of, like, it's an old buddy of his. But it's, like... Sure. But, like, very little about this episode changes. Like, yeah. but... Like, because it's still a crazy person who kills people and likes Michael for some reason. And actually, since, like, her part of her backstory was that she kind of had obsessively researched Michael... Like, she's definitely been keeping more tabs on him since then. It's much easier to bring up stuff that they've done on the show. You are so right. And we have way more connection to her than we do to fucking Tim Matheson, 
who we've Absolutely. never seen before. That is also good because like his connection to her originally was like connecting the trauma of fathers and like a, you know abusive mm-hmm. men, and her coming back. And, like, at the same time as he's, like, dealing with his mom in therapy again and having to, like, relive that kind of a stuff would have added so much more depth to both of those scenarios. Holy shit, Exactly. Chris. You've... What? And also, as I'm people are so like... angry. This person is so attractive. Like, you know, if I described her, it would be attractive. Like, yeah, man, it's loosely lawless. They would have to be- rewrite <laughs> almost none of this episode. Holy shit. I can't believe this. Right, and it, I'm so angry. I I will never forgive this show for killing that character off. But that's the thing is, that, and then like instead of fucking Tim Matheson, who's fine, like he's he's pretty good at this role. But like have like have her keep coming back because she I yes. so angry that she is not like Michael Weston's foil on this show. Like because like she could be. Like, it's perfect. And it perfect. would be so interesting, and it would add such a more fun dynamic to, like, Fiona and Michael, and, like, the fact that Michael's, like, kind of low-key, extremely attracted to this, like, assassin who he sometimes has to grudgingly work with, and sometimes he has to work against, like... Exactly. And they can, like, they can kind of, like, spike her, you know? <laughs> Where, like... Yeah, exactly. Um... Like, I'm so, like, there's nothing I could do about this. <laughs> but I'm You want to start so a letter writing campaign? To, like, George Lucas this show. <laughs> and just, like, put her in the scenes. Also, can where, you like, imagine, can you imagine, like, inevitably a couple seasons down the line, like before Michael and Fiona like get together for the final time, like Michael finally kind of caves and he and Lucy Lawless sleep together. And then the next day, like Michael has to leave for something. And so Sam is left like babysitting post-coitus Lucy Lawless. And like, can you imagine the tension of that scene? Also, also going back to this episode, where does this episode end? With a sniper rifle on top of a building. It's like, just like the last episode ended. Yeah, you're right. Like, I'm so angry that Lucy Lawless <laughs> is not in this episode of television. Furious. I was, I've been thinking this the whole time, but I didn't want to bring it up earlier in the episode because I knew once I said it, that's what this whole episode would have been about. Yeah, you're totally right. I'm glad that you saved it for now because other, I would, not, I would have been so distracted the entire episode. This would have been like a four-hour t- episode. Exactly. Oh, God. It's the dumbest decision the show ever made. Like... <laughs> I, part of me wants to track that. Like, every time, like, because I know Tim Matheson, Tim Matheson comes back, right? Uh, Yeah, at uh, least a couple more times. If, like, we need to track the alternate version of this show where Lucy Lawless comes back. <laughs> we can do that, but I will, I will also add a secondary thing, which is we should also just track any time a character, or like a bad guy on the show should have just been Lucy Lawless. So not just Tim Matheson, yes. but like anytime any uh, episode would be improved by the villain being Lucy Lawless, like we should definitely track that as well. Oh, 100%. We need to, again, we need to build up this version of the show that would have been better if Lucy Lawless had been in it. Oh my God. Matt <laughs> Nix. <sighs> Here's the thing. If I'm Matt Nix, well, okay. I was going to say, if I'm Matt Nix, I'm listening to this episode and going, God damn it, you're right. But probably not, because Matt Nix has women problems. Yeah, that's that's a thing that we have gotten into many a time. So maybe he would not be kicking himself 
like he should be over this very obvious thing. Anyway, there's a little bit more of this episode. Oh, but it's yeah. just what else like happens? Sam and Michael spying on Bill Johnson again and then realizing that um, everything that Michael has been doing has been supporting this like hit that Bill Johnson is going to do because they watch Bill Johnson use that same key card that Michael had to get from like the most arrogant man in yeah, the, the Tunisian. South Florida or whatever. The Tunisian, the Tunisian that got gassed in his own counterfeit room. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and Michael like sees this and realizes that he has a way to figure out more or whatever. It's vague. But that's the end of the episode. God, it should have been Lucy Lawless. I can't think about it anything else be. now. You completely ruined this for me, Chris. Right? Uh, but anyway, let's move. Let's go and talk about some spy tips. Ugh, if we must. <laughs> Out of the weeds. Laundry bluing is a synthetic dye that dry cleaners use by the thimble and covert operatives go through by the bottle. It blots out secrets and works like a poor man's dye pack, staining anyone who digs through their trash. Although that never really comes to anything. I thought it might, but it didn't. Yeah, it didn't. Also, the like piece of information that it was bluing seemed to be completely like not blued out. So like if you're gonna do this, like dunk the whole paper, bro. Yeah. But that's but that's still like a nice thing to know like I do oh no i no i agree this is definitely a practical tip but i'm saying the the yeah. practical application of it in the episode left some to be desired yeah when a pro plans an ambush they capitalize on the element of surprise they attack aggressively and they so their opponent has to react from a place of weakness an amateur on the other hand is more likely to take a defensive posture which means they are the one acting from a place of weakness yep i mean i yeah i you agree yeah, I agree. I think that would take a little bit more, like, thinking about. Um, it's not one that you can easily just, like, remember and be like, oh, right, I have to come from a defensive position. But, like... Well, no. Like, it's saying... It's not about... It's talking about how someone else is reacting. Like, if you're dealing with a pro, they're going to be offensive. But if you're dealing with an amateur, they're going to be defensive. Oh, I and see I what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, it's like... It's more about how other people react. Yeah, but no, I, I think that there's something in here. Okay. The next one is not a good tip. I'm not saying it's a good tip, but I included it because it's so obvious. <laughs> and it does provide some basic information, but, like, not really. Okay. Re- cell phone jammers. Cell phone jammers emit radio waves on the same frequency as commercial cell phones. They're useful when you really want to make sure someone stays out of touch. Really? Cell phone jammers are useful when you don't want people to use cell phones. Thank you. <sighs> oh, Thank you, Michael Lesta. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, every once in a while, there's like a super obvious spy tip that it's just like, this isn't even useful from a storytelling perspective. Because sometimes like yeah. the like the voiceover is like thematic and like, you know, it's just sort of like adding a little commentary. And sometimes it's just like, for the sake of having something there because like the pacing of the scene itself wasn't going well so they needed to like write something to keep it interesting and you can fucking yeah. tell guys no that tip was the equivalent was the equivalent of that kermit gif <laughs> like <laughs> if you want to know which one we talk about it in our other in our web series so go watch Sam that. Sam and Pat are depressed. Episode, season one, episode four, I want to say. 
I that sounds right. And I'm not gonna talk about it any further. Cool. It doesn't matter if you're trying to take out a moped or a dump truck. Every vehicle has three areas of vulnerability. The driver, the engine, and the tires. A can of paint across the windshield could blind the driver. A 50mm cannon could kill the engine. But neither will guarantee that the truck won't swerve into oncoming traffic. But if you force a vehicle's front tires off the road, you drastically diminish its maneuverability. That way, it can't swerve. Of course, getting a dump truck's tires off the ground is even more difficult than it sounds, and it's a hell of a lot more dangerous. Yeah, I think that's practical. I, there, there was a lot There's of stuff lot in, there. in there. Yeah. And then um, staging a fake death and a believable emergency response is almost impossible on a budget. One lone ambulance isn't going to sell it. So unless you happen to have a fleet of fire and rescue vehicles, uniforms, and a dozen actors you trust, you really do have to call 911. Yeah, that's fair. I, I'll give him that. Yeah. Apparently it's not enough, though. Mm-mm. For so, the yeah, first let's... time in a while, like, we don't have enough tips. Yeah, so let's let's get into that. So let's rate exactly. this episode. So, yeah, there's not enough practical spy advice, so that's out. Do they do spycraft over violence? Uh, yeah. Mm, yeah. Less spycraft than usual. It was. It's mostly just him going to this guy and threatening him. And, like, sometimes putting cell phones in people's cars. Which is kind of violence. Yeah, I mean, like... There's a lot of threatening. Yeah, there's a lot of threat. I mean, like, he threatens people a lot. Like, the threatening is not what makes it violent. It's more like he doesn't punch it out of anybody. But, like, it's... It's not cop but show. Not like a, you don't have to be, like, a spy to be threatening. Right, yeah. Like, most of this episode could have been accomplished by just sort of anyone who is in a vaguely action-y mystery show. Um, and I feel like that's the spirit of the rule. Yeah. So, what do you so say? So it fails that one, too. Yeah, what do they do to solve this problem? Because, like, they, they don't find out the, like, the the bad guy in a clever way. No. Like, she just says, oh, it's probably my stepson. And they're like, all right. And then it is. Um, yeah. They don't they find like... out any useful information about him when, like, Fiona stays at her house. Uh, basically all they do is they just have to keep telling this guy to call off the murders and that's it. And he keeps being bad at that. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's not really spy-like at all. Yeah. Which and then, is and interesting then, and, because and, and, it's an episode that has a rival spy or like another spy. Right. Like it's rife for spy versus spy. And yet, and like the end of the episode was going to be Michael Weston straight up killing a dude. Which uh, is definitely not spycraft over violence. Exactly. All right. So that's um, two failures already. There was only four of the five necessary spy tips for to hit that one. It did not use spycraft over violence to solve the weekly problem. Was there a debuted distinct alias? I would say no. Yeah, well, Larry Sizemore? Not really. No, because, like, he doesn't really call himself... Does he actually call himself Larry Sizemore in the scene? Like, I know it's implied that that's who he is, but I don't know if Larry actually gave his name. I'm trying to think. I mean, I think... He says, like, I'm his friend from Facebook when he first gets to the scene. Yeah, I mean, like, either he says, I'm Larry Sizemore, or Drew says, are you Larry Sizemore? And he's like, yeah. All right. Well, in, in any case, so. like, he's he's nothing. There's no characterization. There's no physicality. No. There's no distinct, like, 
wardrobe choices. Like, which is actually, which again is interesting because if anything, like he's pretending to be someone he theoretically knows very well, and there's nothing specific to the characterization. Yeah, he's not even like unhinged in like a fun way. He doesn't even like dip his toe in Larry's crazy, just like no, for the he fun doesn't. of it. Yeah, so that's nothing. So that 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 one's also out. Uh, so finally, were the side characters used well? Sam apparently fucked real good. Yeah, that's true. So Sam Sam gets it. What did Fee do this week? Largely introduces Michael to the himbo and then continues to introduce him to the himbo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she, does, she doesn't like, have a lot to do, which is interesting because these two writers usually have a really good bead on Fiona, but I think there was too much true. else going on um, that she was sort of only like ancillarily involved in. So there just like wasn't a lot for her to do even in the best of circumstances. Yeah. And it did seem like the director was really focused on the Larry character. I'm not sure Yeah, why. for for some reason. He was really in love with that Larry, that handsome Larry fella. So yeah, this is not... A great episode of Burn Notice. Is this the it's first not. one of this season? Uh, yeah, this is the first episode uh, of season two that has not been a great episode of Burn Notice. And and it's from writers that we like too, which is interesting. Yeah, that's too bad. I what I am gonna assume is that this they were assigned this story uh, that was like beat out in the room, and it was not like their pitch. That's going to be my assumption is that this story, this episode had to set up a couple of things and they were assigned yeah. to it. And because like it had to deal with like, like it had to introduce a character that will, that'll come back eventually. And because they apparently had to add 18 lines about how handsome Larry Sizemore is, because apparently that's part of his fucking writer. Um, yeah. And because they had to like set up the sniper stuff at the end. Like, I think that they just, they didn't have enough space to have fun with this episode. And so they tried they tried to go dramatic with it, but it just was not set up that way. Yeah. Uh, would you consider this a great episode of television? No. It wants I to be. I want it to be. I want it to be. Like, I really, I admire it because I, I, I admire its ambition. I, the thing about it is that, like, it wants to be the kind of television show that I like. You know? It wants to not be Burn Notice. <laughs> and I respect that, but it's not good enough at doing that. And yeah, it's really not. Like I said, like earlier, like because of its ambitions, I have to like judge it on like because I do think there's a lot of good lines and stuff. I think if like this episode hadn't like tried to bite off more than it could chew thematically, because there's a lot of really fun stuff in it, mm-hmm. and it just committed to being kind of fun. I I would be like, oh yeah, it's a I might have been like, this is a great episode of television, or at least, you know, or something like that. But the fact that, like, it tried, and I don't want to punish it for trying, but it doesn't make it a good episode of television. Mm-mm. And it, it does not. really kind of exposes kind of the limits of this show, I feel like. I don't think it does, though. Like, again... Had it just had Lucy Lawless, like the way yes. that you and I just broke down Lucy Lawless being in this episode solved a lot of the thematic problems that this episode had. I do not think that this ca- epi- this show is incapable of self-reflection. I just think that 
the writers that we have been introduced to so far are incapable of self-reflection. I, I don't. That's possible. I, I, I don't want to punish the show for that. I just think that like the problem is, is that they these guys are like they're trying to write a very specific show uh, and they don't know how to dip into the darker stuff without completely losing the thread. I think that's the thing that this show, the way that it's built, isn't equipped to handle. Because like at this point, it would feel really weird if they treated Michael's trauma seriously. Like, it, like again, maybe there's a way to do that. There's, like I said, to pull the rug out and be like, oh, the thing that you thought was frivolous is not frivolous. I suppose that there's a way to do that. But, like, so much of the way this show is set up and, like, its attitude towards, like, character and a lot of things seem like it doesn't have, like, the right bones to do this kind of thing. Yeah, it's true. Well, for the first time all season, this was an episode of television and nothing else. And it makes me feel bad, <laughs> genuinely. Because we we liked a lot of what this show was trying to this what what this episode was trying to do. We liked yeah. a lot of the characters, we liked a lot of the moments, and we really like these writers, but it wasn't enough. All right. Well, um that leaves nothing else but to thank Vincent EL for our theme music. You want to find more from Vincent EL, you can go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. Um uh, until then, uh we'll see you next week and uh bye. You see?